Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for us. We pray that this morning, chapter 15 of Leviticus would be profitable for us. We thank you that in the pictures that we have in Leviticus, especially the cleanliness code here, we see the pervasiveness of our rebellion against you and how holiness, living as unto Christ, should permeate every area of our lives. We pray that that would be made real to us and um, impress upon us the desire and a zeal for um, right living, ordered lives as we were designed to be um, to to live by you from the beginning. We know that it's impossible apart from Christ, and so again we're driven to our need for Him, and so we ask that you. Do what only you can do in our hearts and uh, drive us to the cross in thankfulness and repentance and um, with wisdom and how to live it out as we relate to one another as well. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We are in Leviticus 15. And in Leviticus 15, we return to the issue of bodily fluids that we picked up in Leviticus 12. Remember, we were dealing with Leviticus 12, how uh, someone became ritually impure, a woman became ritually impure after childbirth. The loss of blood caused ritual impurity. And there was a provision made for her to once again go to the tabernacle, once again be around people without defiling them ritually. Uh, And we took a break. 13 and 14 dealt with leprosy. And we are mercifully done with leprosy, and it's now we're returning to uh, the, the bodily fluid issue. Now, in this chapter, it's not just one issue, it's four issues, okay? Four different types of ritually defiling bodily fluid situations. Um, I, I want to press upon you, impress upon you again, this is ritual defilement, okay? This is not a uh, situation where because this happens, therefore there's sin, right? It, it's, a, it's a ceremonial purity that, that allows them to ceremonially go into the tabernacle and to be in covenant relationship with one another. These are pictures. This is not the moral code. Uh, it's not the holiness code, which we'll get to in a couple of chapters, starting in, in, in chapter, uh, after we get through the Day of Atonement, chapter 17. So we have here again ritual, um, ritual impurity. Each of these discharges caused differing levels of impurity. So some required more thorough cleansing rites than others. But with each one, the, the core issue is... Does the impurity infect or is it transmitted to the tabernacle? There's a chain of events that leads to the tabernacle. If uh, someone has some kind of discharge, whether abnormal or normal, we'll see there's a difference in, in, the, in the code here. It can it, either they sit on something, somebody else sits on it and, or touches it, and it, it just kind of goes through the community to the tabernacle. So the idea is protect the house of God from ritual impurity. Nowhere in this chapter, just like in chapter 12, are we given the reason why 
bodily fluid discharges are ritually impure caused that we, we don't know I have a suspicion that there's a there's a cultural thing that permeates the ancient Near East that these kinds of things were ritually impure remember uh, Laban uh, and Jacob in Genesis remember whenever the Jacob's fleeing from Laban he's ready to go home he's been there 14 years he's got weak-eyed Leah and hot Rachel and they're leaving and Leah Leah <laughs> Leah, is it Leah? No, the word Weak eyed. Is it not Leah? And hot, and hot Rachel. Leah, Leah. Hey, Star Wars is out. It's Star Wars is out. It's Leah. Um, so anyway, you've got the sisters Grimm uh, with Jacob, and uh, and so they're leaving to go to to Canaan land, and uh, somebody takes somebody takes. Uh, one of, uh, well, several of Laban's gods, right? Um, whether for security purposes or for money purposes, they're leaving. And so Laban tracks them down and starts searching all of Jacob's stuff. Jacob's outraged, of course, that he would do this. He doesn't know that Rachel took him. Rachel is on a camel, sitting on a camel, and Laban's like, oh, I need to search your stuff. And she says, oh, I'm in the way of women which means she's in her cycle. And so he's like, oh, okay, ain't going to touch that. That would make me impure. Right? I, and he's not an Israelite. I think that's a cultural thing that's going on, and I think they're pulling from that, and God uses that, I think, here to paint a picture of, again, what, is the, what does it mean to be pure in the society of Israel? So as we're looking at it, let's remember that holiness here the picture that's being driven home is holiness should permeate every area of life, even the most private, secret, hidden areas of life. That's kind of the picture we see through these, um, through these, these codes. Little, rebe little rebellions hidden in secret are actually committed before a holy God. It, it's the, the danger is it gets back to the temple, Right? So, all right, with that, chapter 15, verse 1, we'll look at the, the first case, uh, which uh, the smart folks call an abnormal male discharge. So here we go. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the children, the people of Israel, and say to them, when any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law of his uncleanness for a discharge, whether his body runs with its discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge. It is uncleanness. Every bed on which the one with a discharge lies shall be unclean, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything on which the one with the discharge has sat, shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge, shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself, 
in water and be unclean until the evening. And if the one with the discharge spits on someone who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And any saddle on which the one with the discharge rides shall be unclean. And whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries such things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Anyone whom the one with the discharge touches without having rinsed his hands in water shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And an earthenware vessel that the one with the discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when the one with the discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing, and wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his body in fresh water, and shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two turtle doves, or two pigeons, and come before the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and give them to the priest. And the priest shall use them, one for a sin offering, and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord for his discharge. The first case is what they call abnormal discharge. Why? Why would I'm not going to ask you questions. I'm just going to tell you why. <laughs> I alone will bear. Uh, why? Uh, would it be considered abnormal? There are two situations here that identify it as abnormal. One indicates a certain type of infection. In, when it says body, that's a euphemism, right? It's a euphemism for male genitalia. There it is. That's what it's talking about. If there's some kind of flowing thing going on that's not natural-like, then it's an infection. If there's a blockage that's not natural-like, then it's an infection or some kind of problem. It's abnormal. And there's a, there's a, a wide range of possibilities that could lead to these kinds, of, um, these kinds of symptoms, and none of them are healthy. So there's a potential, though, for transmission of impurity to others. And he goes through this incredible list of how many ways can you transmit impurity to the culture around you, to the people around you? What he sits on, what he lays on, what he uses to cook. Does he touch somebody? Does he get mad and spit on somebody? You know, all these ways in which other people around this person who are infected this way can transmit ritual impurity. What's the effect of uncleanness? What is it? Always have that in mind. What's going on? Clean means I can go to God's presence. Unclean means I can't go to God's presence. Think about a guy in this situation. Who's going to know this is going on? Probably just him. Pro probably. Usually, most certainly, just him. What this does, it puts, on, it puts on a Hebrew male the requirement to go to the priest and say, Doctor, I've got this problem. Right? What a humbling, humiliating thing to do. Why would he do that? I want to be where God is, 
And I don't want, I love my neighbor enough not to infect them with ritual impurity. What are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see that? Here's a visual. Here's a picture. In the most personal part of a man, there's a picture of preferring rather than... I did that. Preferring uh, rather than uh, being keeping it private, keeping it to himself, he, he exposes himself, so to speak, to the priest. I've got this issue. I don't want to be unkind to my neighbors and let them, and I certainly don't want it to get back to the tabernacle. we got to deal with this, right? It puts the burden on each individual male. If you've got an issue, this is how you deal with it. What does that say about God and His relationship to us and what He calls on us to be? We're to be completely broken, completely vulnerable in our dealings with one another and our dealings with Him. There's nothing hidden from God, right? Is that, isn't that the picture here? They're barred from entering the tabernacle. They may also spread the impurity to others who would also be barred from the tabernacle. The focus is to protect God's dwelling place from impurity. Uh, we've seen some of this stuff before with chapter 12. The transmission can take place by carrying cooking utensils. The clay, plot, the, clay plot, the clay pot is to be broken. The wooden pot is to be washed. Uh, incidentally, the wooden pot being washed is kind of a, a great concession they're both porous things, but the wooden pot, uh, wooden utensils are more difficult to come by, more expensive, and so this is a this is a concession by God to them, to to allow the the wooden to be just washed. Um, transmission uh, can be made more direct through touching, and it, it's curious to me that he would include spitting, but spitting could be casual, as those of you who sit on the front row of this class know, spitting can be casual. Others can be more intentional, right? That's a sign of disrespect. If you get mad at somebody and spit on them and you've got an issue, then you've just not only you know, shown your contempt, but you've also made them ritually impure. Thank you. So there's some of that going on. God makes provision for them to deal with that. Either way, the infected person was to separate himself so as not to infect others. He is to undergo the purification ritual. He's to do two things. He's to wash his clothes and wash his body. Right? And then wait outside the camp until evening. So the guy who's infected by the guy who has a discharge, it's just, it's just till evening, okay? What happens once the guy who had the infection or the sickness becomes clean? What, what does it say? He's got to wait. It's a quarantine issue again, right? We have him waiting seven days. Uh, the, notice the difference. The guy who is merely infected by someone who has this issue uh, is, is till evening outside the camp. The guy who has the discharge, who becomes clean, has seven days. Why the quarantine period? Why, why seven days? What do you think? It's the same as everything else to make sure it's, everything's okay. Yeah, it's the same deal. We see the same pattern, the same order, the same procedure again and again. Make sure that the symptom has been resolved. Um, and once he's done, after the close of this week-long quarantine, he also undergoes a purification ritual of washing his clothes and himself. And then on the eighth day, he's clean enough to go to the tabernacle and do what? 
sacrifices, and they're so expensive, right? I mean, pigeons and turtle doves. Doesn't even mention something that worth falling back on turtle doves and pigeons. It's just the cheap, just the readily available. That's exactly right. It's not. It's not. But what you see, you're exactly right. It's not what you typically see. There's goats or bulls or whatever, and then for the poor provision for the turtle doves. This is just it. It's just two birds. One for a purification or sin offering, and then one for the burn offering, make me accepted, thank you for healing me, those kinds of, that kind of idea under the burn offering. Not an expensive deal, uh, but it still requires an offering. It's much less than the leprosy uh, ritual we saw in chapter 14. Um, all right. 16 through 18. If a man has an emission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water and become unclean until the evening. And every garment and every skin on which the semen comes shall be washed with water and be unclean until the evening. If a man lies with a woman and has an emission of semen, both of them shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. Here we have the next case, a normal male discharge. These verses deal with discharge that has nothing to do with abnormal situation we've seen previously. This is a normal, healthy Hebrew male, and it has uh, in view an involuntary emission apart from sexual intercourse, and it, the result is that a man is unclean until evening and must bathe. Second, any articles are likely to be contaminated from that emission must be cleansed. Any sacrifices? No. No sacrifice. No birds, no nothing. It's a normal deal. You just ritually become clean. There's a procedure for that. Um, the third uh, case here is after intercourse. Both man and woman are impure, ritually unpure, impure. They're ritually unclean, and they cannot enter the sanctuary until evening. Now, what does this tell you? In Israelite culture, sex is bad? Is that what this is telling us? God doesn't like sex. Is that what this is telling us? No. Um, somebody in here wanted to do a book study on Song of Solomon. There's an entire book on sex is good, sex is created, sex is of God. He made us to be fruitful and multiply and to enjoy doing so. That's a good thing. Then why have this? Why make it a ritual impurity issue? I recall taking cultures around them ah. mixing in sexual activity with their worship. That's exactly right. That's exactly... At issue here is it's a polemic against what goes on in the cultures around where sex becomes part of a religious festival where they where they're they're trying to increase the fertility of their women and increase the fertility of their animals and their crops through prostitution temple prostitution what this statute does it makes it um, impossible if they're following the statute, for 
a Hebrew male to go to the temple, or, or we'll see later, to enter into one of God's wars after having sex. He has to go into it being ritually pure. Okay? When I read that issue, about, especially the Holy War issue, it really drove home to me what was going on with, um, with Uriah the Hittite. Do you remember when he's called back? David calls him back. And, and he says, Hey, Uriah, why don't you go home, take a break, hang out with the wife for a while? He wouldn't do it. He slept on the king's porch. He stayed away from his wife. Two things are going on there. One, he felt honor-bound to do it because men that he loved and were fighting with were still on the battlefield. And number two, to go into the wars of God, you had to be ritually pure. Even, I mean, this doesn't say, the only thing it contemplates here is wife, right? We're going to go into the Holiness Code later. Anything other than the wife, there's different consequences and it's beyond ritually pure, okay? Stones involved of that. But we have here, even in the marital relationship, going into a war of God, you would have to go through a cleansing process to enter that. And so here we have in, uh, in, in Samuel talking about what's going on with David, the man Uriah is so guarded to be pure before God, to go fight the wars that the king is sending him out on, and he's under the command of a king who is desperately morally impure. Think about the difference there, the contrast there in the culture knowing this statute. All right. Um, sex was not viewed as negative or sinful. Uh, Israelites thought very positively of sex. It seems weird, though, that a positive view could be held of something ritually defiling. But remember in Leviticus 12, we had the same thing. Childbirth is a blessing, but there's still a ritual purity issue that has to go on. Um, although uh, childbirth was a blessing, the loss of bodily fluid was seen as ritually defiling. Uh, Israelites look positively on many activities that made them ritually impure, just like we look on look positively on some activities that may make us physically impure. Um, I like to farm. Being in the chicken coop and messing with those birds is not a morally evil thing. It makes me ritually impure, though, because chickens are nasty birds, right? They're physically impure because I, you know, you cannot walk around there without touching in some stuff that they leave behind as presents, and it's not always eggs. So I got to wash my hands when I go in. When I come anywhere near the kitchen, Tammy will say, "Ah, there's a bathroom over there. You go, you know," because I'm bringing that into the house, right? So I've got to. It's a good thing. It's a fun thing. It's a silly example, I know. But it's a fun thing, but it's still, there's the consequences to it. And that's kind of the, the view here. If, it's not because uh, we should view chickens negatively, um, but they, they, do make you, they do make you foul. Okay, notice here <laughs> that no animal sacrifice is required for these situations. These are ritual purity statutes. This is not the moral law. But the picture is clear here. Holiness reflects wholeness. Wholeness reflects holiness. To have fluid, blood, or otherwise leave the body was a reflection of not being whole in the culture. This is a cultural thing. 
Another thought, uh, again, we talked about it, uh, that, that, that sexual intercourse here and ritual purity may be a polemic or statement against um, you know, other, other cultures that, that use that religiously. We've talked about that already. All right, verse 19 through 24. When a woman has a discharge, and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything also on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whether it is the bed or anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he, sh he shall be um, unclean until the evening. And if any man lies with her in her menstrual impurity uh, comes upon him, he shall be clean seven, unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. All right, we have here normal female discharges. Uh, this is the next uh, case-specific text on this bodily fluid chapter. She is unclean for seven days because of her normal cycle. But anyone who touches her is unclean until that evening. The same regulation on transmission, the stuff, touch, cooking utensils, all that applies. Uh, she's unclean. Uh, someone who touches it is un impure or unclean until evening. If someone um, does that, they have to go through the same kinds of, of rituals we saw before with the male. Um, there's washing of, of clothes and bathing. The final case here, though, deals with sexual intercourse with a woman who is on her period. And, and here's the objection on this one. Um, if at some point that happens, it's considered ritual uncleanness here. If it's done intentionally, we'll see this later on, they're cut off from Israel. So do we have a conflict in Scripture? That's why I'm bringing this out. That's really the only reason I'm bringing this out. Do we have a conflict here in Scripture? Later on, this is considered sinful, a brazen act against the holiness of God by intentionally engaging in sex during this time. And yet we have provision for it here under the holiness, which is basically just a, a ritual cleansing of, of washing and, and, and washing clothes and all that. What's a, is there a conflict here? No, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart in what way? It's an intentional deal. Something that happens, it says, and her impurity comes upon, or her, her cycle comes upon him, is the way the text reads. It wasn't an intentional deal. So God makes provision for that, right? Um, okay. The thought is that provision is made for an inadvertent sexual act without knowing that that time was beginning. Later texts deal with brazenly breaking the decree by knowingly lying with a woman on her period. Are there any sacrifices for this situation, a normal female discharge? No. Again, normal male, normal female, no sacrifices are needed. It's ritual. We're talking ritual. Notice, too, and, and, and by having a sacrifice, it confirms that it's not sinful activity. Even, the, even the, the sex during the period part is not sinful activity. A woman's period is natural. It's not sin, but it does cause ritual impurity under the ceremonial laws of Israel. And think of it this way. What a gracious thing of God not to require that financial burden every month. You've got another sacrifice you've got to make every month. 
There's enough sacrifice that goes on. All right. Uh, it was not sin to touch a woman who was on her period either. It was just a ritual cleanliness issue. issue. Family members could be an emotional comfort to them. Just hold me. It was okay to do, you know, it's okay. All right. Moving quickly through the next section. Verse 25. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness, as in the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be, uh, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves, or two pigeons, and bring them to the priest, to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Again, you have uh, an abnormal female discharge. Notice the, notice the structure of this chapter 2. You've got, you've got abnormal male, normal male, normal female, abnormal, fem- abnormal female. It's a chiastic structure, the smart guys will call it. And it, it, it kind of bookends... Um, the the, um, the the idea of ritual uh, purity here. Uh, finally, the abnormal female blood flows are discussed. The woman is unclean as long as the discharge flows. Remember, we talked about the woman with the issue of blood in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus heals her of that, and how she would never be able to go into the tabernacle. She never. She shouldn't have been around everybody. We, we had that discussion before. This is uh, also where that uh, is tagged. We, we talked about it in chapter 12. Whenever the, flood, the flow of blood ceases, whatever the cause, she must undergo a purification ritual at the tabernacle. And the, and the language seems to imply another waiting period to determine if the symptoms have ceased. Sacrifice is necessary here, just like for the male abnormal discharge, because the problem is abnormal and reflects a lack of wholeness. All right. Why? <laughs> Why is this here? What is the purpose of the cleanliness code? Well, thankfully, he gives it to us. Look at verse 31. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. This is a law for him who has a discharge and for him who has an emission of semen becoming unclean thereby. Also for her who is unwell with her menstrual impurity, that is, for anyone, male or female, who has a discharge and for the man who lies with a woman who is unclean. And that's how that statute ends. What's the purpose of the cleanliness code? The purpose was to prevent Israel from defiling or polluting the place of God's presence among His people. It was also to protect them from dying if they should bring impurity into that holy place. 
What do you do with this? I'm on this side of the cross. The state of Israel has, at, from this period, ceased. We have an Israel over in the Middle East. But they're not doing this. What do I do with this as a Christian? Yes? The mindset that's had there where, you know, keeping the, the temple or the tabernacle, mm -hmm. what is the temple for us? It's our body. Keeping ourselves pure. Right. And, holy, and guarding ourselves against things that are sinful or, or it's the same mindset. You have to be careful. You have to be careful. Right. You have to yeah, the New Testament uses that temple language in two ways, doesn't it? Well, three ways, really. One is your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking Paul in, in Corinthians talks about, you know, don't join with a prostitute. You're joining Christ to a prostitute. Why would you do that? Your body's a temple. He resides there. Um, it, it uses it also in terms of the church as the temple of God, right? We don't sin in isolation. And the thing that impressed that impressed me about this chapter, as awkward as it is to teach through it, what impressed me is that it's so oppressive. I mean, think about that. Your most personal, private issues, you got to deal with these publicly. I mean, if you're outside the camp, there's a reason. Why are you here for, you know? The, there's a reason. The priest knows, the priest that you may see every you know, time you have an issue to, to deal with, he knows your junk. He knows your problem. He knows what you're dealing with. It's there. Even in the most intimate, private areas of life, holiness needs to permeate. Number one, because God is holy. How amazing is that, that He's so holy <laughs> that even these things that are hidden things... The psalmist says in Psalm uh, 19, he says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. And once again, we see in this cleanliness code the great care it takes to describe how to address these impurities, and it all testifies to the massive holiness of God. Little things like this cause this ritual impurity to happen. This impurity was never to come into His presence, uh, even more than chapters 12 through 14. This chapter drives home for the Israelite the need for ritual purity in every area of life. It doesn't get more personal than here. But God also provides a way to cleanse them from their impurity, showing His desire for His covenant people to come into His presence and worship, as well as to enjoy covenant fellowship with each other. And again, we see that the detail and care taken for ritual purity shows a picture of what is expected in moral purity and the pervasive effect of moral impurity, especially in terms of Sexual purity. If a young Hebrew man is ritually impure and barred from the tabernacle because of some involuntary emission, how much more for that wild thought that escapes his head when women pass by? I mean, doesn't that impress upon him how God knows all, is Lord of all, is holy above all, and this is a physical picture, again, of what goes on in the heart, what goes on in the mind. 
1 Corinthians 6 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Sex in and of itself is not sin. Desire for the opposite sex is not in and of itself sin. But when right desire hits the sinful heart, the whole thing gets polluted. It gets chaotic. God has designed us for order. God has designed us for, for holiness. One of the things that, that also uh, was brought to my remembrance in going through this, has anybody ever read Pilgrim's Progress? A few times maybe? There's a scene in Pilgrim's Progress where he gets out of the slough of despair. Is that how you say that? Slough? Slough? slough. I never could figure that out. It's old English stuff. He gets out of the thing. And he's walking away. He's glad to be out of there. He's out of his funk. And he walks on the path, and he's just like, oh, this burden is killing me. And this, he meets up with a guy called Mr. Worldly Wise Man. And Mr. Worldly Wise Man has a great idea. Why are you doing this? Why are you traveling all this way? If you go over to this town morality, by way of this hill where Mr. Uh, Legality lives, he can help you get rid of this burden, right? Just go there. And, and apparently he had a son named Civility who was simpish. I, I don't know what, how that had to do, but John Bunyan brought that out for some reason. So he goes over to the, this hill. He's walking toward the hill. And as he's walking toward this hill, which is a symbol, of course, of Sinai and the law, he get, he, the, the hill gets bigger and bigger. And so much so that it like, towers over him. And he's, he's freaking out, thinking it's going to crash on his head. The law is overwhelming him. And he fears. And it says in there, and his burden now seemed heavier to him than while he was in his way. There came also flashes of fire out of the hill that made Christian afraid that he should be burned. Here, therefore, he sweat and did quake with fear. One of the effects, I think, of Leviticus, it's certainly having that effect on me, is, and I hope it is on you, is the recognition that the law is burdensome. I mean, it's... This is a very personal chapter. It's overwhelming what they had to do ritually, and then we get into morally, and who can, who can discern his errors? How, how, how can you keep up with it all? It's overwhelming, and we can't do it. The ceremonial laws paint that picture. What does it mean to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Wait, I, I just blew it again. What does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? Wait, I just blew it again, right? The Leviticus challenges us. You think you can do this? Let's see what that would look like. <laughs> we have a picture of these very detailed laws. You can't do it. Even those things that are most personal and hidden must be revealed. It's too much we need a Savior. Isn't that the point of it? The law is a tutor to bring us to Christ. And here we have the picture of Jesus. When He came, He took upon Himself the weight of the law. We couldn't keep it. He kept it for us. And though He did not deserve it, and here's what really, really pressed home to me, though He did not deserve it, what was most personal and hidden was exposed as he was fastened with nails to wood and elevated before a fallen humanity for everyone to see and ridicule. There it is. 
An Israelite was to confess to the priest, I've got this issue. It's personal. It's private. I don't want to share it with anybody, but I've got to do it because I want to go to the tabernacle and I want to have fellowship with man. But I can't do it. I can't keep it. Christ, who kept all of it, is open to shame. They didn't crucify them fully clothed. He took on the shame of Leviticus 15 for his people. He fulfilled the law in his secret life as well as public. He took the burden of punishment for your secret sins and mine. If we are in Christ, we won't be put outside the camp. All the burden and toil rest on him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. As believers, we're to have a holy hatred, Jude tells us, for our remaining corruption, our remaining rebellion against the orderly design of God. Jude uh, 22, And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. But as we battle against the sin which clings so closely to us, Hebrews 12, we do so with a firm assurance that the blood of Jesus can cleanse us and has cleansed us thoroughly and completely of all unrighteousness. Who can discern his errors? Thank God that through Christ he has declared me innocent from hidden faults. I find great comfort, as awkward as it is to walk through this passage, that this chapter about the most personal, private need for purity before God comes right before the Day of Atonement. It comes right before the chapter on the Day of Atonement, which, interestingly enough, is immediately followed by the Holiness Code. Because of this, now live this. And as we have seen again and again, even in the giving of the law, there is God's picture of His provision of grace in the person and work of Christ. And that's where we'll start next week. Dare you make any comments or questions? <laughs> yes. Tammy will take the challenge. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just thinking in, in all of these examples, whether it's abnormal or normal problems, they seem to be something that is uh, is unintentional. It is something mm. that's just because you, they're a person. Mm -hmm. And it kind of brings home the fact that just our personness is so sinful mm. that stuff just flows out of being human that makes us ritually not whole. Right. It makes us not whole before God and not holy yeah. before God just because of... It's the nature children of wrath idea. Right. Yeah. Good. Good. And even in that, Jesus graciously takes on that. Yeah. Just being who we are. <laughs> yeah. He took on our nature. Even the unintentional. Yeah. yeah. Good. You know, I couldn't help but think about the woman who touched Jesus' mm -hmm. garment. You know, sure. She had the flow of blood. Mm -hmm. and, and about also that Christ in the New Testament is also a picture of the temple. Mm -hmm. And that we don't defile him when, when he touches us and we touch him. Right. Because his righteousness has cleansed us. Right. So that. 
He makes the unclean clean. Yeah. 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 It's a great picture. It is. Because we can have that fellowship now. We don't have. He's our purification. Right. Good. Good. Another thing on on that story wasn't it when when she became pure mm-hmm. or clean because of touching Jesus? Mm-hmm. She, what she didn't have to go through the seven no. waiting period. No. Immediately. <coughs> go. Your faith has made you whole. Peace. He's immediately her peace. Good. Any anything else? Okay. Let's pray. Father, it is overwhelming to think of the standard of holiness by which you exist and expect your creatures to match to reflect you rightly is a huge burden to us. It's an impossible burden. If the Pharisees couldn't be holy, how could any be, anybody be holy? It's impossible. But thank you for Jesus' reply that with God all things are possible. And you made it possible through the slaughter of your son who was innocent in all ways tempted like us but without sin and you had him bear our shame and our humiliation and our punishment because of sins we did willingly what a gift to us that we can stand before you unashamed because he was shamed Thank you that we have the hope of being raised with Him and that holiness will be our nature completely. But as we live day to day with new hearts that want to be like Christ, I pray that your Holy Spirit gives us the strength to continue to move toward reflecting Him rightly. May we find peace, not by seeking after chaos, but by living according to your law, your moral law, and finding order. You're a God of order. So let us seek peace in Christ, who has ordered all things for us and is our King. As we go into the next service, we pray that we would be overwhelmed, not by the law, but by the mercy and grace of a risen Savior. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen.